thank you. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for inviting me along, or uh, thank Johnny for inviting me along. Um, if at the end of my time with you this morning, uh, you aren't overly happy with what I've said to you, you can blame him and uh, have words with him uh, later on. Uh, I, I must say that um, I applaud you and I applaud Johnny for what he's been doing uh, in this sermon series that he's been going through on Colossians. Uh, Colossians is a, is a wonderful book. Remember uh, that the letter was written by Paul either from Rome or maybe from Ephesus, but probably from Rome, and it was written to the people of Colossae in Asia Minor, a church that Paul did not plant, but a church that somebody, he evangelized and came to faith, then went and preached the gospel in Colossae, and the people came to faith. And then some problems were stirred up there, and, and some issues came to light there, and uh, uh, Epaphras went to uh, Paul in Rome, spoke to him about it, and Paul then wrote this letter uh, to the people there in Colossae uh, to try and help them to figure out how to live out uh, their Christian life. And, and I must say, when I preached on this passage a number of years ago, um, uh, I did it under the title of Extreme Discipleship. Uh, children, if you look at your uh, notes that you have with you today, uh, you have two pictures there. Uh, what would you consider extreme sports? It, it, would, would there be something you could play? Could you play extreme tennis? It doesn't really sound like that, does it? Maybe you do it on roller skates or something, or who knows? Um, extreme bowling. Doesn't really work, does it? Uh, but the pictures that we have here on your bulletin uh, are, are things that, that absolutely scare the living bejeebers out of me. You know, can you imagine? Get yourself into a suit. You've got a, um, a, a parachute packed on your back. You've got this suit on that has sort of wings. So you put your arms out and these flaps come out. And then you've got wings between your legs, and you go and throw yourself off a cliff and sail down through the air, nothing supporting you. And then eventually, when you get to a place where you think you're probably going to crash if you don't do it, you pull the cord on your rip, you rip cord on your parachute, and the parachute comes out, and you come down to land. That for me is what I call extreme sports. Uh, Abseiling, as you would call it in this country. Now that's something I have done, but I must say uh, I was scared stiff doing it. I, I don't like being maybe five or six feet off the ground. When my wife and I went to the Grand Canyon, uh, I would get to the edge of it, and uh, if there was a rail in front of me, I was fine, I could look down, but if there was no rail there, I had to back off about 10 feet before I felt comfortable. And I can remember at one point, the first place we went up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, uh, there was a young lady there with her boyfriend, and she was sitting on the very edge, and she was doing one of these things, you know, posing for him to take pictures. And inside of me, I was screaming, get back from the edge! You're going to fall, you're going to get hurt. Whatever. 
past few weeks, as you've immersed yourselves in this letter to the Church of Colossae, I hope you've been learning about the trustworthiness of this Jesus and come to realize that we do not want to be caught up in false religion when our Savior has set us free from the rules and regulations of religion to live for and with Him. Uh, I've asked to have this out here. I know uh, Johnny every now and then uses this, and I, I know that he's done the, the Christian math, hasn't he? Jesus plus something equals nothing, doesn't it? But Jesus plus nothing, pardon me? Yeah? Jesus plus anything equals what? Nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let me show it to you another way. Thank you. Um, what does religion say to us? This is a very simple way of looking at it. Religion says to us, do. Do this. Do that. Spin this wheel. Pray these prayers. Do these things to make yourself good enough to be in God's presence. To make yourself good enough to worship God. But what, what does Christ say to us? Christ says to us that it's already done. Jesus in his death on the cross has made you and me holy enough, worthy enough, clean enough to be in God's presence. It's already done for us. It's not something that we have to do to get there. Mind you, I want to say to us that one of the things that happens in our Christian life, and that's what we're learning about today, is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, because of his love for us, we want to respond in love to him. And that's where the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of our spirit dwelling within us comes in where we yield to what God the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and we change our lives. Colossians 3 begins uh, with these words here uh, of, uh, since then, uh, a transition. Uh, it's like elsewhere in the scriptures, when you see Paul put the word therefore in, we need to ask, the, ask what's it there for? And what it does is it challenges us to look back and see what he's been saying about who we are in Christ. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, it's all about who we are in Christ. And then 4 to 6, it's all about how we should then live. Wherever we see the word therefore, or in this particular book, it's since then. And listen to what he's saying here to us in this. Since then, a transition. Uh, once, several years back, I taught through this book under the beginning of extreme discipleship, under that heading. And, and I illustrated that with that uh, with a picture, actually a slide projection of this guy throwing himself off a mountain and he had a camera fitted on his head and he was sailing down through, even went through a waterfall at one point going down the side of this mountain. Um, wouldn't get me doing that by any means. That whole sense of hang gliding or base jumping is not something 
that I don't think I, I well, I know full well I, I couldn't do. I, I would get to the edge and I would curl up in a ball somewhere and probably roll back down the mountain on the opposite side. Uh, it's an extreme sport. Um, you have to be very courageous and skilled, very fit, and you have to trust your equipment totally. Uh, and when you finally hurl yourself off the cliff, you are totally committed, aren't you? You're totally committed. Well, you see, that's what Paul is talking to us about uh, in, in being Christians. That when we have totally committed ourselves to Jesus Christ, as he totally committed himself to us in his death on the cross, then their change comes about. And uh, that change begins to happen as we begin to look more like Jesus and become more like Jesus and want to live more like Jesus. In the same way, Paul here is teaching us about extreme discipleship. Now, you know, maybe that might be a bit hard for us to swallow, or radical discipleship, that might be hard for us to swallow. Uh, but maybe true discipleship. You know, what, what does that look like? I, I can remember there was a little book that I read many years ago. I'm off script a bit for it in the moment, but it was called The True Believer, and it was written by a Marxist. And he was challenging Christians and saying, we are more committed to our cause than you Christians are to the cause of Jesus Christ. And sadly, unfortunately, he was right in some ways. Paul is teaching us here about totally committing ourselves to Christ, trusting him and him alone for your life, uh, lived with him now and for eternity. Um, just a little insight, you know, eternity, is that the goal that we look for at the end of time? Is that what you think eternity is? That's the prize we get when we die and go to heaven? Or Christ comes back and these people are raised? Um, the definition of eternal life is there in John 17, where Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. It's about 17 verse 3. That blew my mind when I saw that. I must have read it a hundred times. But all of a sudden, it made me realize that eternal life is a relationship with Jesus. It's not a prize at the end of the age. It's a relationship with Jesus here and now and for eternity. Colossians 3 then begins to unpack for us the practical nature of Christian experience. Christ is at the very center of it all. Focus on Christ. All our experience of Christian living must be drawn from his risen life, lived under his liberating authority, and lead to his greater glory. Not our glory, but his greater glory. So we must affirm with John Stott, he was a who was a hero preacher of mine. He's now gone to be with the Lord a number of years ago, but he used to be down at All Souls Langham Place in London. And uh, he wrote this, that Jesus Christ is the center of Christianity, and therefore both the Christian faith and the Christian life, if they are to be authentic, must be focused on Christ. 
Today we want to look at what it means to be living with Christ in verses 1 to 4, uh, living in Christ, verses 5 to 10, and look at the way forward as God's people, living with Jesus at the center of our world, full of life, full of love, and full of hope. First of all, we live in Christ. Now, living with someone has become somewhat uh, of a casual relationship in our day and age today, hasn't it, unfortunately? Um, people living together before marriage and all of that sort of stuff, uh, the casual relationships that come in there. But the reality is that living with someone has an effect on those involved. It changes us. It changes us, doesn't it? When people live together before marriage and they have sexual relationships, they become bound to each other. According to biblical principles, they become one flesh with each other. And um, uh, that's not a good thing in sort of the biblical standards. Uh, but listen to what Paul is saying then here in the midst of this. He's saying, since then you have been raised with Christ, uh, or as Eugene Peterson translates it, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Act like it. In other words, understand your position. The position that Jesus occupies in heaven is one which you and I, as believers, share with him. Because of our position, our priorities change. Set our hearts on things above. Or set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Just a few minutes ago, we were joining the dots, or is it joining the dots, or whatever you call it, joining the dots, and we were learning about sin. Um, not learning how to do it, but learning about the difficulties with sin. And uh, I wanted to chip in and say, um, you know, the problem with sin is, is the I in the middle. And we were learning one of the things about sin is idolatry. Well, the I in the middle is me, isn't it? My self-centeredness, my selfishness. That's what sin is all about. But when we turn to the Son, Jesus, and put an O there instead of I, then we're looking to Him. And looking to Him uh, to see how our lives should change. Set our hearts on things above. Set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Uh, if you want to jot this down in your notes, I just want you to take this home and think about it today um, as you maybe think about what I'm saying this morning. And um, it's verses, um, chapter 8 of Romans, and it's verses um, uh, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Does the Spirit of God testify with your spirit that you are God's child? And then it goes on and says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. How does that fit with what Paul's saying to us here about put our minds on that place where Jesus is in heaven next to his Father, seated next to his Father in heaven? You know, one of the realities, sadly, will be that in, 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 in 
years' time, hopefully, or, or, or maybe longer than that, uh, the Queen of England will die and Prince Charles will come to the throne. And he's not going to share the throne with William, is he? He's not going to say, come on, William, you and I are going to do this together. No, he's the king. But here, in Romans, Paul is saying to us that we are joint heirs with Jesus. That's something to ponder. That's something to keep our focus on. Uh, when we're looking here uh, at this place, uh, how does that change us? How does that make us different? Paul is calling the Colossians and us to use our willing, feeling, and thinking beingness to be concentrated on Christ and to live for Him and with Him. Our predicament is that this new life for now is hidden with God in, with Christ in God. The already and the not yetness of being Christians. Um, salvation is already a present reality. Um, but is it fully, re fully revealed to us yet? No. We're still in that place of the now and the not yet. That predicament is there for us. So on the one hand, we can speak with great confidence about being saved, having died and having risen with Christ. Yet on the other hand, we know that we are not, have not yet arrived and there is much of salvation we have yet to experience. And much of the risen life, risen life, risen life of Christ, which we have not yet begun to tap into. But one day, one day, we will all be fully, it will all be fully ours. In the meantime, we must remain with that sense of the hiddenness of it. Our prospect, uh, Paul says, Christ is your life. That sums it up. Apart from Christ, they and we do not have life, just existence. To them and us, Christ is the center, the source, the dynamic, the focus, the meaning, the glory, the goal of the Christian life. He is the all-sufficient one. Now, just think for a moment of uh, this illustration uh, of uh, someplace up in the Scottish Highlands where uh, eventually on an island they got electricity. Uh, sorted out for them and stored into the into their houses. And uh, somebody came along at one point and asked one of the uh, people living on that island, uh, what difference electricity has made? And uh, the, the man said, oh, it's marvelous. I don't do Scottish accent very well, but anyway. Uh, every night when it gets dark, I can turn on the electric light it's so much easier to light my oil lamp that way. <laughs> then when the lamp is lit, I can turn it off again. Is there something of that in the midst of our Christian life? We should be those living in the blazing light of these great facts of the faith. We have been raised with Christ. He is seated at the right hand of God. Our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears then we also will appear with him in glory. Uh, Bishop Handley Mole 
uh, wrote these words uh, in his commentary on Colossians uh, about the blessed life, the transfigured life to the Colossal people. Live in heaven that you may really live on earth. Uh, you know, there are people out there that say, oh, you Christians are so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly use. Have you ever heard that said to you? Yeah? I want to say to you that it's the exact opposite. We can be so heavenly minded that we become of ultimate earthly use. You think of a person like Jackie Pullinger over in the walled city of Hong Kong who went in there fearlessly because she was trusting that she was living with Christ in heaven so that she could risk her life and go in and meet the drug lords and the prostitutes and the others and miraculously help them come to faith in Jesus Christ and be delivered from opiate addiction and all of that stuff. Live in heaven that you may really live on earth. Live in heaven not in the sense of the poet but in that of the believer. Live in recollecting and conscious union with Jesus who is there but who is at the same time in you and in your life right where you are. Live in the continual confession to your own soul that you have died in his death and live in his life and are with him by the law of union on his throne and then bring this to bear upon the temptation of your path ahead of you today in your life. Use these things then, take them as facts into the life exactly as life is for you today. Whatever it may be, you shall find that in them, that is to say in him, you can be holy. You can walk in perfect liberty. You can walk with the same steps in perpetual and delightful service to God. That's what it means to live with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. <coughs> Paul then goes on, and, and he speaks to the Colossians uh, about how our identity shapes our behavior. Hide it as you may, the Englishman abroad is soon given away. The Scotsman soon stands out in London, and the American can rarely disguise his origins. Uh, unfortunately, too many people call me a, an American rather than a Canadian, but um, I've learned to forgive them for that. Um, who, are, who we are shapes us. It governs our accent, subtly determines our dress, molds our table manners, and fashions us in all sorts of indefinable ways. The Christian identity in Christ must no less shape the way the Christian lives. Our being and doing are all of one piece. Or to put it in another way, our theology and our ethics cannot be separated. Two lists of don'ts come up then uh, in this passage before us. Uh, verse 5 and then verses 8 to 9. First, sexual immorality, uh, etc. And secondly... Uh, the bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk, and that adds lying. We were just learning and joining the dots in there that Satan is the father of lies. And his natural nature is to be a liar. Uh, these vices must be repudiated by Christians. Not, not 
Well, to some extent, maybe because uh, of the wrath of God coming upon them in the midst of it all. I mean, he, um, Paul writes here, uh, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to our earth, earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because these, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And the downward spiral of humanity we see in Romans 1 is looking at that reality. And unfortunately, brothers and sisters, that's the reality of our world today, isn't it? That downward spiral of reality of giving up the love of God, uh, replacing the truth about God with lies, sexual immorality and all that in the midst of it all. Uh, but the vices must be repudiated. What is the best way to do that? Uh, Margaret Thatcher once spoke of starving terrorists of the oxygen of publicity. We need to starve these vices of the oxygen that gives them life in our lives. Rather than when we find ourselves tempted into sexual sin, rather than going down that way, we need to begin to turn to Christ once again and say, what went on in you, Lord, in the midst of all of this? Uh, the whole place here of um, uh, not speaking, but you, you must not, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Some of us maybe at some time used to uh, uh, sort of uh, tell coarse stories or coarse jokes. Um, when I was reading this at one point in time, the Lord convicted me to not do that anymore. And, uh, and turn away from that. Even though the stories were funny and all the rest, they got a laugh. But that was not honoring to Christ in my life. We need to starve our beings of these things. They invite the wrath of God. Uh, as I say, Romans 1. Uh, the second reason, they belong to the past way of life. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now things are different. You have moved on. You have changed your old filthy clothes for a new set of clothes designed by, for you by Christ. Children, um, are you with me still? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Tell me, how many of you like to go out and play in the mud? There's some adults back here that say putting their hands up to you like go out and play in the mud. And uh, when you get back home... What is the first thing that your mother or father say to you as you're standing on the mat at the door, covered in mud? Yes? Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Take your clothes and then put them in the water. And what else? And get a shower. And go get a shower. Probably take <coughs> off your shoes, your muddy clothes, and go get a shower. Thank you. That's what you were going to say, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought so. So here's that place of, for us, it's that place of putting off the old life and taking on the new. That's why in the baptism service sometimes what they do is, they, is they'll take a, a white robe and put it around a child after they've been baptized. Here Paul is emphasizing the positive. You've taken off the old clothes and put on the new. Put on Christ, who is your life, being renewed in knowledge, in the image of of your creator. Um, so how do we live this heavenly-minded, Christ-focused life here in Dustin 
in a way that not only blesses us, but transforms the community around you. Well, a number of years ago, and it is a number of years ago, Mission 2014 was uh, in, in the parish that I was at in Warrington, and we put um, a banner up over both doors of the church on the inside as people go out. And the banner said this, you are now entering your mission field. You are now entering your mission field. Not Ubangi land or Malawi or India or China, but Dustin, just out there. That's your mission field. And um, a, a child um, was, was going out through the church after one of the uh, Christmas things that were going on. And he, he said, what's a mission field? Uh, having seen the sign over the door, wanted to know what it meant. And the mission field is here. In here for us to come in to be fed and nourished and transformed and challenged to live for Christ and live with Christ. And out there to do it, to live as Christians. To live as little Christs out in the community around us. Uh, to engage with people in conversations uh, as we're out there. Uh, I can remember uh, one conversation, and, and sometimes my accent has has gotten me into some interesting conversations at least four or five times I can remember that uh, I've been to places this particular day, I didn't have my collar on, I was uh, at a grocery store, a Sainsbury store, we were checking our groceries through uh, and the clerk behind the desk uh, noticed my accent and asked if I was an American and I said no, I'm a Canadian and uh, he said what in heaven's name brought you over here and I said well when you work for the Lord you go where God tells you to and he said, well, God hasn't done anything for me. And I just paused for a minute, and what ran through my mind is said, this is too big a door not to walk through. And I said to him, well, actually, he has done something for you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. We're going to be running an Alpha course in two weeks' time. If you'd like to come along to that. Now, my wife afterwards, after we packed up the groceries and we were walking up to the car, she said to me, you didn't expect to be doing that today, did you? <laughs> and I have to say, no, I didn't. But it's that place of us living as Christians and bearing witness to Christ wherever we are. So the last verse here, verse 11, talks about a community to be remodeled. A community that was division. Uh, a community that says, uh, you're not part of us. You're Greek, not Jew. You're circumcised, we're uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But all, but Christ is all and is in all. Breaks down the dividing barriers that are there. Somewhere in Jerusalem it was found in the courtyard, going from the courtyard of the Gentiles into the courtyard of the Jews, a sign carved in the stonework over the doorway. And it said, trespassers will be executed. Not prosecuted, executed. It meant that Gentile people were not allowed to go into the court of the Jews around the temple. Jesus has broken down all of that. And he is all in all. The effects of the fall, the fig leaves, and separation 
masks and disguises people would adopt from then on to hide themselves from one another, that's all broken down. Human beings who are made for community would now have their relationship uh, would have their relationships cursed by disputes, envy, fear, hatred, power, struggles, and hierarchies. That's gone. Christ's design is not just a personal one, but as also a community one. Paul writes of it in ethnicity or religious divisions and said that all must change for Christ is all and in all. But Christ in all these yawning chasms has have been bridged. They no longer have any significance. Being reconciled through Christ is the overwhelming, significant thing that every person in the new community shares, whatever their background is. Whatever sinfulness is being there is washed away. We stand before God. We sit with Christ on His throne, I should say, in purity and holiness. Somehow this remodeling must go on here with us. The divisions of I follow this leader or that leader or I must be replaced in our midst by us all coming to know the reality that we are living as resurrected life with Jesus at the center, full of life, full of love, full of hope. If we truly focus on Christ, who is our life, then these divisions will fade into insignificance and we will be known as Christ's followers sharing the hope of life, the joy, and the love of Christ here in Dustin and beyond. And I want to conclude. I know that uh, I told Johnny I was going to do this because I love this particular verse uh, that I'm just going to share with you. It's verse 17 in this passage. And, and I, I just want you to think with me for a moment about it as we conclude this time this morning. Uh, Paul writes, and whatever you do, he, he's concluding at this point, he's saying, you know, these are the other things that you've put off. Now these are the things you put on. And he's saying, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, let me ask you. Let me ask you, young man. Whatever you think, how comprehensive is that? How all-inclusive is that. Whatever you think. Anyone? How comprehensive is that? Whatever you think. That's 100%, isn't it? Yeah. That's everything. You know? Um, the scary thing is that sometimes preachers come along and they say, uh, you know, just think on the judgment day, every thought you ever had Everything you've ever done is going to be splayed on the screen before God and before everyone else. That's pretty scary stuff, isn't it? Because I know what I think at times. And you know what you think at times. So that's pretty comprehensive. So he says, whatever, um, whatever you do, well, first of all, okay, I, I got it the other way around, didn't I? But whatever you do, uh, whether in word or deed, Word, or the things that we do. Word is sort of the thinking, isn't it? No working the thinking. So whatever you do in word or deed, that's totally comprehensive, isn't it? As this lady over here said, that's 100%. That's everything. 
So let me, let me just challenge you with this today, and maybe you want to memorize this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What does that mean? If you're driving your car down the roadway and you have a fish symbol on the back of it, are you going to be speeding? Are you going to be exhibiting road rage? Um, are those the things you're going to be doing? No. When you go to get coffee, are you going to be pushing other people out of the way? Uh, no. no. You're going to be caring for each other, aren't you? Uh, when you're in line at the supermarket or, or, or whatever you're doing, all of these things, Paul is challenging us here to do in the name of the Lord Jesus, i.e. in his character living in you, allowing that to bubble out so that the glory goes to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you for uh, this opportunity to, uh, uh, to think about these challenges that Paul uh, puts to the people uh, in Colossae and uh, through the ages down to us today puts the same challenges to us. Uh, we need to focus on Jesus. Focus on that place where he dwells now with you, our Heavenly Father. And allow, um, as we take off the negative things, the sinful desires, the sinful <coughs> sinful ways, and we put on uh, the new life in Christ, uh, that we are actually exhibiting Jesus to the world around us. Help us, Lord, as a community here, not to get into divisions about this, that, and the other thing, but to focus on the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. And let that be known in this community, that people will be attracted by the love of Christ that's exhibited in this place and amongst these people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.